It is Tuesday, September 5th, and this is the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. And later in the show, we'll be visiting with Eric Sammons, the author of The Old Evangelization. And we're going to be talking about some keys to practical evangelization. How do we talk to people about our faith in everyday life? But before we do that, I would want to welcome everyone listening to us on KEDC 88.5 FM, Hearn Bryan College Station, and also our Central Texas listeners on KYAR 98.3 FM, Lorena Waco, and also our station in Palestine on 107.9 FM. Before we get started with our interview, as always, we're going to talk a little bit about stuff going on here in our local community. But before that, I want to say good morning to our program director, Thaddeus. Good morning, Deacon Mike. How, How you doing? are you? I am fine. Glad to be here as always. Did you have a labor-free Labor Day weekend? For the most part, uh, had to change wiper plates, uh, blades on my car, but other than that, I tried to do as little as possible. <laughs> and of course, I went down to get the wiper blades and misread the <laughs> instructions and uh-huh. came home with the wrong ones and had uh-huh. to make another trip. So, uh-huh. yeah, that'll happen. That'll happen. For this, only interests our listeners. Well, I guess our listeners in Aggieland and up in Waco were all grieving this this Tuesday morning. Some some pretty some pretty horrible action on the uh, gridiron. Next topic. <laughs> <laughs> this is supposed to be a cheerful show. Let's That's move on. That's true. Let's, let's be it's supposed to be upbeat. Let's move on. It's supposed to be upbeat. <laughs> yeah, so let's not get too depressed. But uh, it's a good sign that we can worry about football because that means that we're the hurricane's gone. We're we're moving on from that. Our, our prayers to, are for those that are back. in the path of Irma, and yes. including our good friend, uh, Father Jim Marshall. He's a Jesuit priest that's in Miami, downtown Miami. So okay. pray for our good friend. He's an Aggie Catholic. So, yeah. Yes, indeed. And I think we do need to continue praying for those that are still feeling the effects of Harvey indeed. in Houston and in southeast Texas. And there is still a great need for helping out the people that were affected and uh there's many ways you can go about doing that, but um, Bishop Joe and Auxiliary Bishop uh, Danny have said that you know the best way we can help out is contributing to Catholic Charities, which is our Austin Diocese representative in taking care of these things. And so uh, please go to the Catholic Charities website at cctx.org and uh, see what you can do to help. And um, those people are going to need help for quite a while to get recovering from that. And I believe there will be a uh, second collection in many, many churches this next weekend coming up for the the those that were victimized, I guess, or, or left homeless or stranded or, or given some difficulty with uh, Hurricane Harvey. Exactly. And I know at our home parish of St. Anthony's, there will be a second collection this week. I don't know, you know, uh, there was an option which weekend uh, the parishes could collect. So I think most of them will be doing it this coming Coming weekend. Okay. Yeah. I was just in uh, Lake Jackson taking some of our friends uh, from this area back to their home, which thanks be to God did not flood. 
Um, our, our own show host, Taylor Schroll, lives a couple of blocks from our friend's family, and I, I'm hoping that their home was okay as his well. His parents so. do. His parents do. Correct. Thank you, sir, yeah. for that correction. So, yes, his parents live there. It's his hometown. But a lot of people we know were affected. Uh, my uh, brother-in-law's mother was uh, had five, no, four feet of water in her home. So, you know, it's it's um, thanks be to God, a lot of people that we know are safe, and, and uh, a lot of them didn't get any damage at all. But those that did seem to have a very good outlook on things that uh, God will provide, and, and he does through many, many people that have come around to help. And that was one of the things I wanted to talk about this morning, um, the response to the flooding in Houston. I watched the news and saw hundreds of people mm-hmm. driving to Houston, oh, yeah. hauling boats, going out there, waiting in the water to pull people out of their houses that couldn't have any other way to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And... In between the sadness of what was happening, yeah. there was this great sense of joy at what humanity is capable of and what we can do when we decide to help one another. Yeah. We need to all come together for, for many different purposes. Mm-hmm. And uh, that hurricane relief was definitely one that humanity did shine. The thought I had watching that is that this, again, is an example of the Christian ethos of Mm -hmm. our culture, the understanding that we are called to be our brother's keeper, and um, we respond by nature sometimes that that is what we should do when Really, our survival instincts would tell us to do the opposite, and yet we are drawn towards helping others. And I have always thought the only good explanation for that is that we have a loving God as creator who has made us in his image and likeness. Mm-hmm. And put that on our hearts to do so. Exactly. Indeed. So, hey, can I talk about one other uh, form of relief that we have? There's a couple of things that we have coming up. Thaddeus is going to talk about our benefit dinner here locally, but I will share something that we've just started this past week and shared on the on the air in Waco. Uh, if you're listening to us in the, the Central Texas area and aren't getting as good a reception as you possibly could there, it's because we're on a backup borrowed transmitter. And let me tell you, folks, this, um, this transmitter doesn't have much more time until we have to return it. Uh, we have put on order now a new transmitter and it will be shipped as soon as we can make that payment. But we are quite a ways away from making that payment. And Dennis, so um, explain what is the, sure. what is the importance of the transmitter to a radio station's operation? Maybe people don't understand okay. how vital it is, how critical it is. Uh, without a transmitter, you turn on the station and you hear. Oh, so a transmitter is essentially <laughs> you don't hear an, anything of vital importance. So you, it is the you heart. cannot operate without a no, transmitter. It is the heart of a radio station. It is the radio station essentially. Without the transmitter, you get nothing. So okay. we uh, had our old transmitter die, and so we are in the attempts of of raising and in the process, not an attempt. We will get it done. Fifteen thousand dollars, and so we've had several uh, individual families that have stepped up and have contributed up to $2,500 so far. We're right at, floating right around 2500 
But we had great news, great news this past week. In addition to those uh, wonderful donations we've gotten already, we had one family step up in the Waco area and said, we will provide $4,000 as a match. So therefore, if you're listening to us in Waco on that borrowed transmitter, if you give now toward that transmitter donation over the next, I believe it's 10 days, we have still left on that match. If you give 20, that turns into 40. If you give 1,000, that turns into 2,000. But we have a $4,000 match. That will get us almost all the way to our goal if we have that $4,000 match and that $4,000 donation. So we're asking you in Waco, if you're listening and love Red Sea in any way that it's touched your life, if you've given donations already and can give another, we are, are humbly asking you to give now because we have a great donor family $4,000. That's a lot. And and that's very humbling for us to hear because that means Red Sea is touching some lives. Yes. And that for someone to step up to the plate and do that, along with all those that have contributed to help start the station, we've got to keep it going. God's asking us and telling us to keep it going. And so that's what we need. We need $4,000 or more to do that match. So every dollar that you give right now for the next 10 days toward that transmitter will be doubled up to $4,000. So the way they do that is they go to the, our website at redsearadio.org. You'll see scrolling across the front of the page a picture of a transmitter. It's a big black box, and it uh, looks very similar to the one that we're going to buy. Uh, same brand name and everything. So you'll see a black transmitter. Click on that, and it'll go to a donation page, and that will earmark it toward that transmitter specifically. So once again, go to Red Sea Radio, Red, the letter C, radio.org. Any of you in Waco, and you know what? You don't have to be in Waco to contribute to the cause because it's all about evangelization. That's what we're going to be talking about. One way you can do practical evangelization is by keeping Red Sea Catholic Radio on the air, and we need to keep it on the air in Waco. So last reminder, redsearadio.org. You got a $4,000 match for the next probably 10 days. Think about it. Pray about it. Every dollar you can give up to $4,000 total will be matched dollar for dollar and doubled. So if you want to contribute and maximize that effort, right now is the time, redsearadio.org, and click on that transmitter. And uh, I'll let you talk about our other exciting event coming up, Thaddeus. Yeah, here in the Brazos Valley, October 19th, Thursday, October 19th at 6.30, from 6.30 p.m. until 9, we're going to have our sixth annual Benefit dinner. We're going to be honoring Our Lady as mother of the domestic church. This is the 100th anniversary of the apparition at Fatima. And we've invited a terrific keynote speaker to come in, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. He's going to speak on the role of Mary and the rosary in forming the family and bringing peace to the family, bringing peace to the world through the family. Um, communion and union in the family through the rosary and her uh, and and dedicating yourself to to our lady and he's going to fire people up let me yes. tell you he is they don't call him the dynamic deacon for nothing mm -hmm. man he is incredible i very 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 powerful presentation he's going to give and so and we had a personal interaction with him at the central texas fellowship of catholic men's yep. conference back in february we got to know him got to see him in person he came on the radio with us he was even in fuego 
when he was on the radio with us for 10, for <laughs> 10 minutes right. that morning. We had a little you bit know? of interview at, at the diocese men's conference, and man, we're like, wow. And so, so congenial, you know, very congenial, very happy to come over and talk with us, and he's looking forward to coming here in uh, in October. And he, he believes in Catholic radio because he has a show on uh, Spirit— I'm sorry, what's the, what's the uh, network in Portland? Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay. Yeah, uh, up in in Portland, and they Portland, have Oregon. several yeah several stations up there. But so. he has his own radio show. He's a he's a believer in Catholic oh, yeah. radio. He, radio. He understands the role that it plays in evangelization. And I also want to say that you know we're all invited to perform um, works of of mercy, corporal works of mercy, spiritual works of mercy, and the Catholic Church's Catechism, paragraph twenty four forty seven. It says that instructing, advising consoling, comforting our spiritual works of mercy. Those are four of the six. Instructing, advising, consoling, comforting. Hmm, that sounds like what Catholic Radio does every hour every of hour. every day. Yeah. And when you support Catholic Radio, you are performing, I would submit, you are performing a spiritual work of mercy yourself. You're participating in that spiritual work of mercy. What do you think, Deacon? That I think that is definitely a case that we can make, and I think that uh, this is an opportunity for our listeners, especially here in the local area, to participate in the programming, to participate in what's coming on the air, because without the support, we have nothing. So everyone, if you are listening and you have not been to one of our benefit dinners, I encourage you to get on the website and Sign up for a seat or even sign up to get a table. So even Deacon Mike, our spiritual director, says, yeah, give thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thanks, Deacon Mike. So when you're intentional about about giving uh, to support the radio, when you're giving intentionally to support the efforts to buy the new transmitter, you are taking part in spiritual works of mercy. And we have already, we've gotten two... Uh, pieces of of news since the station's been on the air in in Waco of non-Catholics listening and and loving the radio station. So Red Sea Radio is there uniting Christians in truth, in goodness, in beauty, and that is wonderful to see. We should all be so, so cheered by that. And we'll talk more about it later, but Karen recently from Waco just texted us and said, look, my husband and I are not Catholic, but we listen every day and love the station and they're learning so much. So mm-hmm. that's the type of stuff that just is currently giving me goosebumps. And the so, family that has that has agreed to give the match, they are huge fans of Father Simon Says Show, oh, yeah. correct? I mean, that's correct. What, they've fallen in love with that particular show. Yeah, it touches them. And so we're we're honored by that. And so we want to continue to touch a lot of people's lives. So once again, if you're in the Central Texas or even not in the Central Texas area, we are looking for a match for $4,000 for that transmitter. Then we're also looking at a great opportunity to come to our benefit dinner on October 19th to see Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, the dynamic deacon. So go online to, to, to look for either one of those opportunities, both the benefit dinner and the transmitter match at redsearadio.org. And our own dynamic deacon has some things he's going to share here as well. Uh, one other thing we wanted to mention, especially considering that we've been asking for money 
There's a free event coming up at Woo-hoo. A&M United Methodist Church and the Academy's Distinguished Guest Speaker Series, uh, Father Robert Sirico. He's an American Catholic priest who is the co-founder of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty, which I uh, was unaware of this um, yeah. Acton Institute, but uh, I checked out their website. And, it's pretty um, solid. It's pretty solid. They are working towards um, starting the conversation yeah. on the relation between liberty and morality, which yeah. is something that is extremely important. Um, and what it says is they want to articulate a vision of society that is both free and virtuous, the end of which is human flourishing. And um, it's going to be on October 2nd at 11 a.m. Uh, and last till 1 p.m. It is at A&M United Methodist Church at 417 University Drive, which is right there on Northgate. That's pretty exciting we do something that's that's an ecumenical. And, and you know what? That, that Methodist Church brought him in. And uh, we're very happy to promote that here on Catholic Radio. So it's it's going to be an incredible presentation. Wanna... Yeah, it's, we're excited about it coming up. And I just want to add that the Acton Institute they do great great work. So that's that's tremendous that we're having their founder come in and, and speak to us. Yes, and I, I think it's sometimes that we fail to understand the role of religion in our society. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my favorite quotes. Uh, related to this topic is from John Adams. And uh, he said, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our constitution was made only for moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. A reminder that religion informs our lives and our country was founded on the understanding that this is the proper orientation of our lives, that our faith should always inform our actions in our life. And this, I think, is important to understand so that when we're talking about evangelization, which we will do with our guest Eric Sammons after the break, that we realize that evangelization has an impact not only on our faith life, but it should have an impact on our life in every other aspect, in every other facet. And um, we should try to strive to understand what that role is in our lives and always strive to live that in our political lives, in our social interactions and things like this. We're going to take a short break. We will see you on the other side with Eric Sammons. And we're back. Welcome back to the Red Sea Roundup. 
And uh, I'd like to welcome our guest, author Eric Sammons, the author of the book, The Old Evangelization, available through Catholic Answers Press. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. How are you guys doing there? We are doing all right. Uh, everything's calmed down a little bit from all the hectic Good. last week. Everything is okay? With, and you're on your end? Yes, yes. In Ohio, we've been safe and sound, but we've been praying for everybody in Texas. We appreciate that, and I know that this whole country has come together praying for Houston and Southeast Texas, and now we're praying for the people in Florida who may or may not be hit by Hurricane Irma. Absolutely. Let's pray that maybe goes out and just doesn't hit anybody. That's what I'm hoping for. Yes, that it takes a hard right turn and heads up into the Atlantic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, last time we had you on, we talked about your book, The Old Evangelization, which I found fascinating because, uh, you just to recap, what is the intent of this book? What, what, are, you, what are you trying to tell us? I really wanted to be a practical guide for Catholics to see how to model their own evangelization efforts after how Jesus himself evangelized, and also how the saints have evangelized, which of course they modeled themselves after Jesus as well. And I want, as just regular Catholics, not they don't have to be theologians or anything like that, just your regular everyday Catholics, how how they can share their faith, how they can spread their faith with with other people, just the way Jesus did. Great. And that, I think, is the reason that uh, I wanted to have you back on, because we didn't have a chance, you know, we were going about some of the things that you mentioned in the book, but what we didn't have a chance to talk about is what would this look like in everyday life. For instance, one of the things that uh, the book says is that, you know, all of us, through our baptism, we're called to be prophets. We're intended to go out there and preach the good news. How do we do that? Yeah, that's, that's the real challenge, because it sounds great when we hear it, but then all of a sudden we're in a situation at work or maybe at home or who knows where, where we're confronted with a situation that maybe somebody is antagonistical to the faith or maybe they've fallen away from the faith, and we just kind of ask ourselves, okay, what do I do now? And I think that's where the rubber meets the road, and that's why I... That's why I tried in the book, and, and I try to focus on the practical aspects of, okay, what do I actually do in that situation? So, for example, you're at work, and a topic uh, related to the faith comes up. Maybe it's a controversial topic like same-sex marriage or transgender rights or something like that. Or maybe it's just somebody is joined their um, Protestant church that maybe has an anti-Catholic twinge to it. You know, some, many don't, but some do. And they bring up something about the Pope or something like that. How do we actually, what, what do we do in this situation? I think what most of us do is we lock up <laughs> and, and we don't know what to say. And then maybe the next day we think, oh my goodness, I, I should have said something. And what should I have said? So I think that's what we're, that's what I'm hoping to help people do is really to, to say, okay, what, what do I say? Not, not the actual words to say, because I want to make that clear. It, it, in each situation, it's going to be different. It's going to depend on your relationship with the person. It's going to depend on kind of the setting you're in. It's going to depend on your own knowledge, what you know, what you don't know, your own experience of the faith. All these factors come into play in, in determining the actual words you say. But I think if we have certain ideas and guidelines of what we should do, I think that's kind of what will help us in those situations. 
One of the things that the church has been emphasizing ever since uh, St. John Paul the Great is the idea that evangelization for Christians, for Christian Catholics, is not optional. This is intended to be part of who we are. And so the challenge is how do we make that work? One of the thoughts I had is, you know, especially newlyweds, you have a spouse. And uh, a lot of times nowadays, we don't necessarily marry in the faith anymore. You know, there's, but we have the opportunity to express our faith in married life just as much as anywhere else. Do you have any suggestions how you broach that? I, I think that's a good point. A lot of people are are not married. Catholics do not necessarily marry Catholics. I do think, just to say something that probably be maybe perhaps controversial today, I do think, though, that um, it's wise for parents to teach their kids that they should try to marry uh, another Catholic. The Catholic should try to marry Catholic. The, the Church has always kind of said that for a long time, and we, we kind of lost that a little bit. But I do think it's it's wise to to, to do that, because I think it, it, it um, avoids a lot of problems that could come up in the future. But as we know, that's not always the reality. And I think the key is, is that the person who is Catholic, number one, always makes sure it's clear that they will be practicing the faith no matter what. They will be going to Mass each week. They will be praying the rosary, for example. They will be uh, doing the, 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 going to confession on a regular basis. The things that they need to do to practice the faith, they will be doing, and that's not going to be compromised. Because I think that is always a witness to the spouse that this is important to this person, that nothing takes precedence. And, and frankly, nothing does take precedence over the practice of the faith. Even a marriage doesn't take precedence over the idea that you have to, you know, practice your faith. You have to go to mass regularly. You have to, you know, pray regularly. You have to go to confession regularly. All those things. So I think that's first and foremost. I think also, and I think this kind of applies to all evangelization, um, is you have to be comfortable with your faith. I think we get tied up in knots when we're talking about our faith. We're very comfortable talking about other things. We're very comfortable talking about the weather. We're very comfortable talking about sports. We're very comfortable even talking about what's in the news, maybe. But we're not comfortable always with our faith in the sense that we, we feel like, oh, if I say this, I'm going to offend that person. If I say that, I'm going to turn them away or, or they may not like that or whatever. And so we get, we, we get very anxious. And I think that's one thing we have to recognize. It doesn't mean we have to be forcing it down other people's throat, but at the same time, it is our faith. It's who we are. And so we should be very comfortable just talking about it. If somebody asks us about our faith, our spouse or anybody asks us why we believe that, we should be comfortable and say, hey, I, I, this is what I believe. I, I believe it for these reasons, and this is um, why I practice it. And it doesn't even have to be necessarily you're saying, I think you should do it too. It's just saying, hey, here's why I do it, because I think that's a powerful witness that others see, and they, if they see that consistency in your life, that you're, 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 you believe these things and you're living them out in your faith, I think then it becomes very attractive to others, and they start to maybe ask, hey, how could I do that? Maybe I could incorporate some of that in my life and hopefully maybe even become Catholic. And I think that is a very valuable point. One of the thoughts I had while you were talking is that one of the things we see with uh, in Islam, and I really respect that, is that if you 
are Muslim, you pray five times a day, and wherever you are, allowances are going to have to be made because you have to say your prayers. And yet, you know, how many marriages do we see mixed, you know, uh, faith marriages where the Catholic says, I have to do morning prayer or I have to do examination of conscience, and that is not negotiable? I think Catholic identity is a very important part of evangelization. It's, it's, you bring it up with Muslims, and they're actually very good at this, at their identity. Uh, Cardinal Dolan, a number of years ago, talked about this, how sociologists have seen that those religions that have the strongest identity markers, so to speak, like for the Muslims praying five times a day, maybe for Orthodox Jews, the way they dress and, and things like that, that they have the, the best retention rates in their faith as well. And Catholicism used to have very strong identifying markers, no meat on Fridays, um, Ash Wednesday, everybody going and getting their ashes, uh, you know, going to Mass on Sundays, these different things that were identity markers, so to speak. And I think as Catholics, we need to continue to practice some of these identity markers, so to speak, because what it does is it, it has two effects, really. Number one, I think it strengthens our faith when we're identified with it like that publicly. And two, I think it does spread the faith because it lets others see, okay, these people are Catholic. One small example, maybe your family is traveling and you have to stop, you know, you stop at McDonald's for, for lunch. Do you pray before you eat and make the sign of the cross after you finish praying? And you're not doing it because like, hey, look at us, look how holy we are. But if you're doing that at home before every meal, why wouldn't you do it at McDonald's as well? There's no reason not to, because if that's already part of who you are, that's why I talk about being comfortable with your faith. You don't mind that maybe people at McDonald's will look at you weird because you did something like that. Instead, you're just like, hey, this is who I am. I'm not like trying to flaunt it, but at the same time, I'm not going to hide it either. I think those type of things can be very strong evangelization efforts as well as strengthening our own faith. And I think uh, this is uh, also very important when we're talking about children, because as we raise children, if we instill that identity in the children, that becomes part of who they are. They wouldn't have to think about what will somebody think if we pray in public, because this is what they do. And so, you know, when we're evangelizing our children, part of that is building that identity. It's hugely important for our kids. I mean, that's a, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's hugely important, in my opinion, for our kids is building that identity. You know, we had this, you know, in the church, you know, every, sociologically, everything always goes on a pendulum. It goes way to one extreme and comes back to the other extreme. Perhaps before Vatican II, the extreme was that we, we did all the identity, but we didn't necessarily embrace the faith internally as well. Per, perhaps. Let's just say that was the case. Well, then after Vatican II, like in the 1970s or so, we were so focused on, oh, you have to understand the why, that we never, we, we kind of didn't like, and we somewhat downplayed some of those external markers, so to speak. And that's what Cardinal Dolan was saying not too long, a few years ago. He was saying, perhaps we need to remember that those external markers shouldn't be abandoned. We keep those. We, we also 
strengthen them by understanding why we do them. We're not just doing them as some uh, stale religion that doesn't have any meaning, but we don't abandon them either. So for kids especially, because remember, a five-year-old kid is not going to understand why they believe something at the age of five. That's for later. They need to just do it now. Things like pray the rosary, like you said, pray you know, in public at times, do all these things, going to mass, seeing their family, their older siblings when they go to confession regularly. For them, it's really just a matter of these external factors, frankly, at the age of five. They see all these things. And then over time, as they grow into their teen years and older, then it hopefully becomes part of who they are and they internalize it. But they have to have the externals first, in my opinion, at the young ages in order for them later to internalize it and really live their faith out completely. Eric, this is Thaddeus. A um, couple other ideas with the sign of the cross and and uh, public evangelization, I think, are bringing back some old-school practices like crossing yourself when you pass by a Catholic church in your car or when you're walking by it in your on the street, um, and also signing yourself when you're in a conversation with someone and they mention that someone has died. You're, you're remembering that person in prayer. Um, those are two other ways of being comfortable in your skin with your faith and also doing it externally uh, without words. So to speak, but with your with your body, with your actions. What do you think about that? I think those are great ideas. I think all those things that, if you make these our practices, it just makes it very clear we're Catholic. I remember when I was um, uh, my first job out of college was a computer programmer, and I, I worked at there was probably about a hundred people in in our office, and I remember the first Ash Wednesday that I was working there, I went to Mass in the morning, first thing before work, and so I had the ashes on my forehead, and so people all around were kind of looking and they weren't quite sure what it was and, and they were kind of like, what, what's going on? But they didn't want to ask. They were kind of uncomfortable. Finally, somebody came out and just said, what's on your forehead? And I said, oh, I, oh it's Ash Wednesday. And like half the office was like, oh, I forgot it was Ash Wednesday. I need to go to Mass later today. And it was just one of those things where I wasn't trying, I didn't go to Ash Wednesday to go tell everybody I'm Catholic. I just went to Ash Wednesday because that's part of our faith. But I wasn't uncomfortable and I didn't mind having the ashes on my forehead at work, even though I was new there and all those things. I just was like, hey, that's just who I am. And in the end, it ended up evangelizing others. I think all these markers, I love the idea of you know, like signing yourself when you, when you cross a Catholic church in honor of our Lord whose presence is there. These things, you know, you're on a work trip and maybe you're with a couple co-workers in the car and you drive by Catholic Church, you do that. And you're not doing it to say, hey, everybody, look at me. Look, I just made the sign of the cross. You just do it because that's what you do. And then often what happens is later somebody might ask you, like, oh, I noticed you did that. I was just wondering, you know, and they might ask you about the faith and maybe they're Catholic and fallen away. And so it maybe inspires them to say, hey, maybe I should take another look at this and say, you know, maybe this is something that would make my life better. I think this is so important, the whole Catholic identity thing, especially when we're talking about uh, extended family, because, you know, so often uh, we have in-laws, we have uh, even siblings that leave the faith that it would be helpful if we maintain those signs of our faith in a visible form that people recognize that there is substance to that. 
I, I don't think there's a Catholic alive today, at least in this country, that doesn't have family members that are that are fall, that are not falling away. I mean, we all experience that. I didn't grow up Catholic, but my wife um, did, and and you know, her family, extended family, they have many members who have fallen away from the faith, and I think when we have that combination of both our actions in the sense of how we treat others, how we act, how we, how we care for others, how we love others, along with the external factors as well. And even external factors like going to mass, which of course is more than just an external factor, but for the world, often it is an external factor. They see you going to mass. I think that combination is the most powerful because what it shows is two things. The way you act and the way you treat others, they say, okay, this person is not acting like most people do. He's putting others first. He's putting uh, – he, he cares about something above himself, above this world even, about God. And two, the external factors can say this is why he acts like that, because he's Catholic. And I think when you combine those two things, it's very powerful. I've seen this the most in all my years involved in evangelization. The most powerful witness I've ever seen is when I'm alongside maybe like, for example, the Franciscan Friars Renewal or the Sisters of Life, and we're out in public, and they're in their habits. And the joy they have, the, the, the love they have for others is evident within seconds, but then also that external witness of their habit, of, their, of setting themselves apart from the world to say there is something greater than this world at work here, something that we should be acknowledged. I think that combination of their great love for others internally they have combined with the externals of, for example, in their case, the habit, or perhaps for uh, us, maybe a scapular or a crucifix or something like that, or, or praying the rosary out in public, something like that. I think that is a, a powerful evangelization combination that can really have an impact on those around us. And that goes back to what you were saying about those external factors, because one of the statistics I sh saw was that those religious orders that still have maintained a recognizable outward identity are the ones that are getting vocations over those that, you know, have sort of done away with any outward recognizable sign that they are religious. Absolutely, because people are young people particularly, they're attracted to that because they know, perhaps better than some of us older people know, they know that the world is selling them lies down deep. They might even be following the world in some ways, but they know down deep this isn't all there is. The world tells them this is all there is. There's nothing else to the world than what, than what you see. And so then all of a sudden they see somebody who's walking around with a long beard and a gray habit and just looks like they're from another planet and they don't have a care in the world and they just love others and they're, and they're putting everybody else in front of themselves and they, they say, wait a minute, there is something more. There is a reason for living beyond just making money or power or sex or whatever the case may be that the world is selling. And so I think that's why they then get attracted to those and to those orders and they have vocations. The vocations are stronger in those orders because it's such an outward sign of the inward uh, beliefs and, and faith that these people have. And this is, I think, so important for young people especially is that they can identify the truth that if you show truly honest Christianity in its basic simplicity, 
people will be drawn to it, but the young people have to be able to see it. And so often nowadays, all of us want to live our faith in isolation and don't provide that outward sign that people can identify and even want to consider living out their faith in that same manner. Look at how the, the, the country has reacted to Hurricane Harvey and how people stepped up and helped others. I mean, you see all these pictures on social media of like the man carrying the woman out of, a, out of there, the, 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 the old lady being care, you know, taken on a boat by some, some people around them. That witness of love, that witness of caring for others is very powerful. Well, imagine if Catholics did that every day. All the Catholics in the country always were acting like that all the time. It would be this powerful witness. Now, it might not make the news. In fact, it probably wouldn't make the news. But it would matter, and it would make an impact. And in fact, that's kind of one of the major points of, of my book. And, and when I talk about practical evangelization is I'm not talking about you have to go change the world. You don't have to go be some great evangelist that is on television or impacts Washington, D.C., or anything like that, or Hollywood. I'm talking about the fact that every person's individual world, i.e. the people they're surrounded by, their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers, their family, you can impact that world. And so just like all the, the great acts of charity that happened out of Hurricane Harvey then spread throughout the world and throughout the country and the world to make an impact. Likewise, if you act like that in your own life, in your own circle of influence, your own world, then it will impact that world. And that's really what we're responsible for. We're not responsible individually for going and changing Washington or Hollywood or New York or whatever. We're responsible for the people around us. And so that's the people we, by our charity and by our external actions, that we make a difference in and we can impact that world. Hey, Eric, this is Thaddeus. Um, a, a mindset and a kind of uh, question or a charge that I often have a difficulty answering effectively is sticking with this example of, of heroism and charity with uh, Hurricane Harvey, a lot of those people doing those acts of courage were not Catholics. And so the, the charge being, well, I mean, Atheists can be good people too. People who aren't Catholics can do good acts of good, good uh, service as well. So you know, I'm okay. I'm doing okay here. Why do I need to? Why do I need to have Jesus? Why do I need to have uh, the Catholic sacraments? What's what's the what's the answer to that? Or what's a good way to begin kind of responding to that that outlook? Yeah, I'd say a couple of things. First of all, atheists can't be Mother Teresa whose feast day is today. Uh, they, they just, they're not going to be. I mean, who gives literally her entire life for the service of others. There are no atheist Mother Teresas. However, we are, you know, Catholic theology is, is that we were created good and original sin then deformed that, but it didn't destroy our goodness. And so in times of crisis, you right. see that. You saw that with, at 9-11, you see that with Hurricane Harvey's places, where anybody who's created in the image and likeness of God has goodness in them, and they will react. They can react in those situations, even if they deny the existence of God. They have His image in them, and so therefore they can act like God at times, in the sense that they they care for others, they give of themselves for others. But the question is, as Catholics, through the sacraments, we're given the grace, and hopefully we live it out to really live that out completely and totally every day of our lives. 
and for every anybody, no matter who it is. And that's where you see – that's why, in fact, Catholics, we venerate the saints because they give us this example that all of us should strive towards. I think Mother Teresa is, is one of the best examples of that where she literally gives her entire life in the service of others. And that's only possible, and I think she would definitely have been the first to say this, that's only possible through grace. That's not possible through human effort alone. And so I think that's what we are hopefully demonstrating and, and saying in our lives, is that we are living completely for others all the time, not just in cases of emergency, because that's really when it's hard, is when it's the daily drudgery of life that we have to overcome. So the stay-at-home mom who has six kids and she has to change diapers, you know, 15 times a day while taking while watching the other kids and and doing the laundry and and getting dinner ready, things like that. Uh, in my opinion, that is one of the great greatest examples of the, the Catholic faith and living that out is that she's giving her life for others. In her case, her whole world is these children, giving her life for them without complaint and just on a day-to-day basis. I think those are the examples of really how Catholic, the the sacramental grace and and, and the grace of being Catholic really kind of shines. I think that's a valuable point because one of the things that we tend to fail, uh, tend to forget is that in our culture, no one was raised in isolation. The basic Christian uh, understanding of how the world looks is in our culture, whether you're atheist or not. We were all raised with that same understanding of right and wrong. What the problem is now is that slowly but surely we are changing who's in charge of determining this. And that's going to change how people are going to respond in the future. But the important thing is, I think, in what we're talking about, is in our day-to-day lives, are we consistently living that Catholic understanding of right or wrong and how we relate to one another? Is that fair to say? I think so. And I think that's a great point you mentioned about our culture. Even though it's post-Christian, it still has that basis of Christianity. In the Roman Empire, in like the, the, the early centuries of Christianity, when a town had the plague kind of come to them and, and people would just get totally sick and stuff like that, you know what all the pagans did? They left town. Mm-hmm. They, they really got out of it. You know what the Christians did? They moved in. They came in. They took care of these sick and dying, and people were like, what are you doing? This is absurd that you would do this. Why are you doing this? But, of course, the sick people were like, thank you so much. Why are you doing this? And they said, because I see Christ in you. And so the idea of caring for those less fortunate and those in need is really, you know, ultimately a Judeo-Christian value that has permeated the world in, in a great way. And it, it still is kind of seeped into our, in our being, and, and especially in the Western world, we kind of see that naturally. But so even though if we've rejected that explicitly by being atheists, we kind of accept that as, as our upbringing. And so I think in order to restore to become a post-post-Christian world, on the Christian world again, I think we need to continue to live that out and show that these values, these ways of looking at the less fortunate and, and those in need are something that is part of who we are no matter what, however much the culture is going away from that, because we see that, of course, with, for example, abortion, with the idea of euthanasia, uh, not t- you know maybe not taking care of the sick and dying and letting them die. We see that encroaching more and more in our culture, 
the more we stand and say, no, every single human life is valuable, no matter what. And, we, and that's the funny thing is our culture, we, we love these people who, who and we, we make them heroes, these people who, Hurricane Harvey or wherever, they save maybe some unfortunate old person who, who can't make it out on their own. Yet, at the same, in the same breath, we, we look at, at the same person, if they were in the hospital, we say, well, let's euthanize them. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a schizophrenic culture, really, that we live in. And so if we're consistently living out that Christian faith in our words and our actions and all that we do, I think that is the way that we then influence those around us to become attracted to Christianity, to Catholicism again. And I think uh, the, uh, your comment about the schizophrenia in our culture is so dead on because I had this thought uh, with the Charlie Gar case, the almost unified cry, you know, from people that, you know, something should be done and, uh, you know, the parents should be allowed to uh, have this child uh, taken to other doctors and this thing, yet we have no problem with late-term abortions. <laughs> and it's mind-boggling to me that you can make that judgment that, you know, Within, you know, two months of existence, you know, it changes dramatically based on how much attention you're getting on social media rather than on that that is a human life. And our evangelization needs to be consistent. It needs to, and this is what is so wonderful about our Catholic faith, is that consistency in what is right and what is wrong. And you bring up a good point that always needs to be we need to be reminded of when it comes to evangelization. It's not always going to be doing something that the world loves to see. We might get lauded if we go help out a soup kitchen, and we should help out a soup kitchen. But we're going to be thought of as like, oh, that's a good person. But if we go down and pray a rosary in front of the abortion clinic and counsel women to not have abortions, we're not going to be praised for that. Yet those two actions are basically identical in that they are caring for those less fortunate and trying to save them and, and lift them up, so to speak. And so as Catholics, we, you, like you said, we have to be consistent and know that both of those actions are actions that are done out of love and are very Catholic uh, Christian actions to do. Only one will get us praised by the world, and we shouldn't just do that one for that reason. We should do both, not saying every single person has to do both those, but you know what I mean, as a, as a community, as a church, we need to have people doing both of those actions, and because they both uh, talk, they, they both witness to the, the dignity of life. And if we compromise on those, on either of those, in, in, in any of those cases, what we're doing is we're basically not truly supporting the dignity of life at all stages. And I think it weakens our witness, even though initially it might look like, hey, we're not making people mad at us. Ultimately, I think it weakens our witness because what we're doing is we're saying, well, some life isn't as important as others. And down the road, that might mean, hey, your life isn't as important as others. And, and nobody wants to hear that. Yes. Uh, which m This brings up another topic that I wanted to touch on, and that is social media presence and how we evangelize there. And especially talking about being consistent in our faith, you know, how consistent are we in what we put on the internet, be it Facebook, be it Twitter, be it uh, any of the other uh, methods that we can use? Are we putting stuff up that we know is going to be popular or are we just putting up stuff that re reflects our faith? Is this a good way to evangelize and how should we do it? 
I think social media can be a good way to evangelize, but we need to recognize its limitations. Ultimately, evangelization is at its core personal encounters, and personal encounters usually happen person to person, <laughs> um, and so and in person. And so, evangelization via social media, I see more as a tool that leads to those personal encounters. We're, we're, it's unlikely we're going to convince somebody to change their way of life based upon a tweet or based upon a Facebook post. However, we can witness in our lives who we are by the things we, we do on social media. So, for example, perhaps you know, you're, friend, you're friends with people uh, in your neighborhood on Facebook. And they know you, oh, he's a nice guy, he's a good person, he goes to church, you know, all that, and kind of on a surface level knows that this guy's a good guy. Well, then all of a sudden they see you post something in support of maybe a pro-life measure or maybe against a same-sex measure, something like that. Well, now all of a sudden you've kind of crossed the social line, so to speak, and so I think that is a, that can be a very good thing, though, because it witnesses to the totality of our Catholic faith and so when they say – it kind of forces them to say, wait a minute, how do I combine the fact that I know this guy? I know Johnny. He's a good guy. He, he, he helps us out, and he, he's got a good family. He's good to his wife, all that. How do I you – know, uh, how does that mesh with the idea that you know, basically everybody in the media is telling me he's a bigot because he's against same-sex marriage? And so hopefully it then leads them to un, uh, maybe a, to give Johnny a chance to explain these things and explain the Catholic faith, why marriage is so – between a man and a woman is so important to us and it, it, it's sacred and all those things. So I think that's the way in social media. But the, the big danger of social media is because it's not person-to-person contact, we can say and do things we would not do in person. And so I always say, if you're not willing to say something to somebody to their face, you shouldn't say it on social media either. I think the danger is that we end up being uh, we, we end up not being charitable to others because we don't have that 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 face to face contact that kind of keeps us in check. And so we have to be very careful. And also, I always say, if you, if you're kind of upset about something, you got to wait and calm down before you actually hit that you know post that hit that submit button on Facebook or wherever, because you might very much regret it and not be a very good witness because you attack or or you say things that you really you shouldn't say. Well, uh, we've come to the end of our interview, Eric, and uh, time just flown by. I think we only touched the surface of this. I really enjoyed this, and I think this is an important topic for all of us. Uh, we are going to close out the show. I want to remind everyone that we will be back next week with your host, Gene Wilhelm. He's going to be uh, hosting the Roundup, and remember to tune in for that. Until then, when calculating the many ways you might share your time, talents, and treasure with the people of God, always round up. Thank you.